Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which I deem worthy. And I am mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which I deem unworthy. And I am the progenitor, and I deem both of your collections unworthy. Well, I guess we'll just have to leave it up to the progenitor to make the ultimate decision. Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. So this is the perfect time to start listening. Dan, I'm not used to saying this part of the script. I got to tell you, I've, I, I was so used to being the the, the the one A part of it. Now I'm back to this part. It's a little weird, but I'm, I'm going with it. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so now I can like blame you for lying there because we haven't really put out a mainline episode of our show <laughs> in some time. Although the, the Beyond amazing, I think counts as a mainline. That was mainline. That was mainline. Yeah, I think I think so too. If you want to kind of like tide yourself over until we start our Ron Friends Tom DeFalco season, which I imagine will start like later this winter, you know, why not check out our Amazing Spider Talk back issues feed? That's where all of our oldest episodes of the show are. If you like are someone that's like, you know what? It's it's the holiday season. Time to break out Superior. And, and relive those days. Well, we got Superior Spider Talk over there uh, and a bunch of amazing interviews with some of our favorite creators, including Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. You can hear some of our initial interviews with them. That's the amazing Spider Talk back issues feed, which can be found in most places podcasts are found. What's new? Mark, what are we going to be doing on this episode? Well, today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 10. This issue was written by Zeb Wells uh, from uh, She-Hulk fame, apparently, with with a heart by Nick Dragota, colors by Marcio Menez, and letters by VC Show Caramagna. Right? Did I finally say this right? All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, This issue was first released on September 28th, 2022. And Dan, 
unlike the other part of the script, I'm going to keep doing summaries. Do you, do you, do you want to hear how I summarize this issue? Of course I do. This is your territory now. I am seeding the ground for Mark to do the summaries. All right. Well, I, before I begin, I do want to ask uh, everyone listening at home, like, like, let's count the Gen X references because I, 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 <laughs> I want to continue with that, that, that power, that strength of the Gen X here. Okay. Here we it go. has infected the show officially. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we go. Here's our summary. Ladies and gentlemen, another tie-in. A celestial named the pro proge progenitor. How did you say it earlier, Dan? <laughs> the progenitor. The, the, the progenitor is judging humanity over the next 24 hours. And if mankind is deemed unworthy, there will be no tomorrow. Speaking of judging, any word on how there's a big celestial head in the middle of the ocean that no one in the MCU has talked about for the past three movies? Whatever. Peter has seen the news reports and checks in with Tony Stark before a very judgmental uh, being who looks like Gwen Stacy appears in his bedroom. Or perhaps this is Kindred disguised as Sarah Stacy. Oh wait, Nick Spencer has already been judged for that and has been banished to Substack. So now we have entered another special <laughs> issue of Spider-Man, the floating heads of guilt and shame. Peter doesn't think it's a good idea to go tuck shopping with Randy Robertson for his upcoming wedding. But hey, there's a judgmental Gwen Stacy looking at him, so why not? Then Peter checks in with Aunt May, who is being visited by her very own judgmental Uncle Ben, Natch. That brings us to a check-in with J. Jonah Jameson, who's all like, why am I not a main character anymore? Is anyone getting judged for that? But seriously, <laughs> he and Peter hash out all the times J.J. both tried to ruin Spider-Man's life and attempted to murder him, and they're cool, so I'm cool. Peter then goes to wait for Ben Riley, signaling that indeed that storyline isn't done and he doesn't show up. Finally, Peter teams up with Miles and just lets him know he's proud of him before retreating to bed and still finding that Gwen is staring at him. Next day, Peter is at Oscorp. Gwen still in tow, and a very hairy-looking Norman shows up, prompting the judging Gwen to look frightened before floating away like Poochie going back to his home planet. <laughs> so Peter goes after her to justify why he's been teaming with Norman, and then we also get a little more insight into what did Peter do, which is something along the lines of teaming with Norman to get back someone he loved a while back. So wait, Norman is Mephisto now? But Peter wants Gwen to know Norman is different now, trying to be better, and gosh darn it, if he can change and Peter can change, everyone can change. Judgmental Gwen deems Peter worthy and gives him one last gift, an opportunity to be with the actual Gwen. They share a moment that's observed by Norman, who it turns out is being judged by his very own judgmental Gwen. And that is my summary, Dan. Wow, wow. I just, uh, how many times can you fit the word judge into a separate paragraph? I think, I think is uh, what we're going for here, but appropriate given this issue. So Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, number 10. I think there's no other place to start than to say, wow, what a contrast of uh, quality between two tie-in issues back to back. You know, like, boy, like I, this might be one of the best tie-in issues that I've ever read, sandwiched up against one of the worst tie-in issues <laughs> I've ever read. And I wonder if you share that sentiment, Mark. I, I do. I mean, like, certainly 
you know, not 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 to you know overpraise uh, the 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 run from a few years back, but like I I do remember that like that absolute carnage tie-in um, during the Spencer run, which I actually thought was really effective in terms of working in that storyline, but also moving forward the Spider-Man storyline. I think we're in, we're in similar territory here. I mean, it, it kind of cuts both ways. I mean, we don't really move ahead that much what's going on here. I mean, we get that kind of illusion at the end with Norman, uh, which I do think is important. I don't want to, like, gloss over it. But, like, you know, I, I at the same time, this is... <laughs> This is still kind of like a bottle episode, you know, as I referred to in the synopsis, a floating a floating heads of guilt and shame issue. But it was an effective one. I, I you know, we haven't really done a, a Peter and Gwen one in a while. I I enjoyed this. I enjoyed them using the, the Judgment Day and this whole Inhumans thing to kind of not Inhumans, uh, Eternal. Sorry, I'm 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 losing track of my my super team that marvel is pushing at the moment anyway yeah no agreed with you dan i mean this was this was a good tie-in that kind of both stayed very much within the realm of spider-man but also kind of in a very slight subtle way moved ahead the main storyline so you know kudos for that i i think what's really solid about this is like you said it continues to push the story but even more so the themes of of the run you know you and and alan had been discussing all these really great character thematics while i was gone and frankly was really jealous about because <laughs> like when, when have we really as a podcast largely been able to move past discussing plot because we often so get hung up with the quality of flimsy storytelling that here you guys were really able to talk about like character motivations and theme and real artistry into one of these books. And for me, this is like a welcome back. And what I, what I liked about this is that I think all the things that you guys were talking about were really solidified in this issue. Like Peter's depression. If that wasn't something you were picking up on before here, it like is front and center. I mean, the guy is like not shaving, right? Like Nick Dragota's art has him with this five o'clock shadow, the whole issue. Like his day is not really spent being necessarily productive more than it is like shoring up relationships and checking in with people and going to bed early with this kind of specter of guilt laying over him. He spends half the issue crying and maybe the reader did too. And so like, for me, this was like all of that stuff really solidified and including what you guys were saying about like, what are his real motives with Norman? And here he just says it right out loud. And we'll talk about that in greater detail, but you know, I, I think it's totally fine to spend an issue making sure that the audience is completely on board with what you're selling. And I know in the last issue, I said like it was kind of saying the quiet part out loud, but here I thought like that was okay because the issue is really about like kind of like uh, coming forward with the your internal and making it external, you know, specifically in the form of this, this Gwen. Like I, I think you couldn't do this issue as issue 900 because it would be compared with happy birthday 500 so sharply, but this is more in vain with of like the things I kind of expect from a centennial issue. And if this had been expanded into a centennial, I think people would have like found it more natural to the run and have enjoyed it more 
if it didn't draw such a like striking comparison to issue 500. And I'm curious to hear your reaction to that. Yeah, I mean, what what I would say to that, frankly, is, you know, the, the difference between this issue and what we got last issue and then what we got in 900 was like, I feel like this issue is not remotely out of place with, as you've been saying, the tone and themes of the run. I, I feel if we got, I don't know if I needed this exact story for 900 per se, but like something that's a character meditation on Peter and his current state of mind and his current is, you know, his current doldrums. I mean, you can call it depression, you can call it whatever you want, but I mean, it's certainly um, the lowest of the low that we've seen him at in a, quite a while. I feel that that would have been more appropriate given the, the tenor of this run so far. Um, so the fact that we kind of got this very tonally dissident issue for 900 and then whatever last issue was which it's not even so much that it was tonally dissident it just felt so out of place like you know like we're you know we're we're talking about a story a tie-in to a story that happened months earlier anyway and then like you know it just it just it just didn't work you know judgment day at the very least i mean i, I believe it's still going on right i haven't been reading it i'm sorry i i, I um i i want to try and catch up to it but I, i'm just you know there's so many comics a little time yeah it's it's it, it's at least current in terms of the event but it's also it's current within the realm of Amazing Spider-Man and the Zeb Wells run right now. Um, you know, the only thing, frankly, that it was missing was John Romita Jr. And we can talk about the art later. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, I think that that you, I would have loved to have seen J.R.J.R. take a stab at something this character centric like this with, you know, the way he's been doing the, the character moments earlier in this run. It was just nice to have a tie-in but have a tie-in that it, it just feels seamlessly apart like you know like years from now i feel like you can read this story in a, a collection and it doesn't matter if you knew what judgment day was the story works and that to me is the sign of a, of a good tie-in issue the closest thing that i can compare this to is um the introduction of cindy moon in original sin and and as much as we've discussed not loving that introduction of the character like slot did his best with this mandate of revealing some secret from the character's past and integrating it into his story to the point that he kind of used Cindy to kick off Spider-Verse in a way that never felt natural to that. But like, uh, at least I think like there was an attempt. This does a better job, I think, but there is something to these kind of line wide events that like are constructed in a way to allow these characters to have really personal stories. Original Sins was everybody has some secret from their past that was had been erased. Here, everybody is being judged individually. So if you're going to structure an event that'll to allow for tie-ins, like this is kind of an interesting way to do that. And I think it worked especially well with Spider-Man because this idea of like judging the character based on his actions and virtues is so inherent, not only within the context of the world of Spider-Man, but also for us as readers reading Spider-Man, we're kind of always judging him by his actions. It's kind of curious to see that externalized in the form of Gwen um, in this way, or like, to, as you were saying earlier, to literalize the floating heads of guilt. And we've seen this many different ways over the years, and it makes this not entirely novel, but I thought as successful thing. 
But one of the things I'm curious about, and I wonder if this came up in your mind when reading it, is this kind of depiction of like performative goodness in this issue. Like so many of the other characters are like kind of like shouting it to the gods, like like uh, Santa Claus on the night before Christmas. Like if I can just get in a couple of good, very performative acts of goodness, uh, maybe Santa will bring me an extra gift. Did you see Peter's actions um, kind of working that way? Or um, how did you feel about Peter's work within goodness? A little. I mean, like, I I, I, I was like a little, I don't want to say taken aback because that's too strong, but I was a little struck by like like the, the whole thing with Randy. You know, it's like it, it felt like, you know, like like traditional Peter, you know, sometimes to a fault in the other direction you know, if he feels like there's a big crisis afoot, like he doesn't have time for the small interactions. You know what I mean? That's that, that's kind of his 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 M.O. It's you know, it's his trademark uh, to to blow off the, you know, the go check in on Nathan Lubetsky or go go do something for Aunt May, you know, like so it, it, it felt it felt a little out of character for me that Peter and, you know, in 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 his general being would be like no like i need to spend this time with randy you know like it it it, it was nice and like you know we'll we'll get to this shortly about the the like i i I like that we had these check-ins because i feel like we haven't really had them to much degree so far in this run but it 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 did feel a little out of place for me i mean i think most of the other check-ins were aligned with Peter's general morality, um, but like the the Randy one felt the, the the least organic to me. Yeah, I think there's like an even stronger version of this issue that does kind of pose a bunch of moral questions for Peter, like like the Nathan Lubesky like thing. You know, like is he going to go and save Crusher Hogan or watch over Nathan Lubesky? That you could really kind of end the issue thinking, how will Peter actually be judged by this? Like. Uh, in the way we always ask, like, what is the choice of the greater good? I think about like um, the Kimia's castle story where he like saves uh, Sandman's daughter from Sandman, but she then ends up going into a faulty foster system. And you really kind of ask yourself, like, was that the right choice? Or just one where we see Peter, like you said, going about the things he would have done anyway and proving that he just naturally does good. And I feel like this kind of rode the line. The stuff that worked the best for me was him kind of trying to justify his actions with Norman because that was a decision he had kind of already made and felt like he had to clarify uh, on whether it's just for us, the audience, or the all-knowing progenitor. What of the check-ins stood out to you? I mean, I thought some of these were like equally touching or humorous. Uh, Did any of them stand out to you? There was an element of them of some of them being rather perfunctory. I mean, like the you know, it was nice to see him and Miles interact, but like it, it was definitely like you know in the list of who we who are we gonna have Peter team up with here. I was like, oh, okay, Miles. I guess I guess you know in this new paradigm, you know, it's important to show Peter and Miles together. I mean, you know, they are trying to sell a sequel to the only Oscar winning Marvel movie. Uh, <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, yeah. It's like it's one of those things. It's like, oh, yes, it's nice to see that they coexist because for so long that's been ignored. But I actually would would have would have loved to seen this issue with Peter out of costume the entire time. And, and anyway, continue. Any other but thoughts? I, but I was—I mean, you know, the, I mean, the Aunt, Aunt May one. 
I, I mean, it was useful in showing like her with with Ben, although like is is Ben would Ben be judging May? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I guess I mean, obviously, she he is the most pivotal person in her life. But, you know, like it made sense for Gwen because of, you know, what's going on in Peter's life. So that it, that that was kind of like, oh, OK, I did enjoy Jonah. I mean, like just because I also have frankly missed Jonah uh, in, in this run. Like, I feel like we've gotten very little of him. Um, but yeah, I mean, these were these. Were, it, I was more I was more happy for the check ins themselves than the quality of the check ins, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I love the Jonah one, and I hope that he becomes a, a, a bigger figure in this story because I think Zeb Wells' voice for him really worked. Like, I, I thought it was very funny to see Jonah on the defensive because he's kind of been operating as an ally of Spider-Man in recent. And so to see him kind of like having to justify his previous actions was funny. The line that really made me laugh was him saying like, I've underpaid you for years, Robbie really made me chuckle Um, just because it's just like his closest friend. He was kind of dicking over the whole time. But yeah, I mean the Aunt May thing worked for me, but if you think about it, it's like, okay, like, would it be Uncle Ben? But, you know, I guess the person you're closest to is the one that maybe judges you the most. Uh, yeah, I, I thought the rooftop scene for Ben was beautiful in like in terms of like art. Like that was the one that worked for me the most, the kind of vacant rooftop and the sunset. You know, I, I know that you wrote it up as like a perfunctory check in, but like comparing this to the death of Harry Osborne in in the beyond run like at least remembering that this is something that weighs on peter i appreciate it especially since we're going to get a check-in on that in a couple weeks time so but let's talk about the core of this story which i think really is peter having to justify to gwen he's working with norman i mean this has kind of been the crux of this run period over the last few issues and you know frankly if you you know do want to languish on the Twitter world, like where you see, like, I think a lot of the teeth gnashing from the spider world that 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 and anything having to do with MJ and Peter being together. Do we need an issue that, that just to justify this alliance? I mean, I don't know. Maybe we do at this point, because it's like, you know, we, we, we've seen this, you know, what, three or four issues in a row now where where Peter and, you know, and Norman are, are, are doing their thing here. And like, you know, it, it's. I, I have talked about in previous episodes, like this is frankly where the whole mystery box thing is kind of, I think, troublesome, not because I want to know what the mystery is, but because like, you know, we're, we're, we're holding cards and we can't explain this very unusual alliance. And, you know, we have to we have to assume that it's in character in some way. But like the longer we go without telling us more to that point the harder that gets to justify and you know like i i do feel like this issue was effective in kind of drawing a line and saying like no like norman did something that peter really needed that no one else would do from that end like peter has to has to give norman the benefit of the doubt and like you could just say well of course he did that's why else would peter be doing it but like i i do think it needed to be said um so i i i i i was in favor of it for that but it's like you know there's also a part of me that's like 
you know, we're in this predicament right now because we, we're, we're choosing to tell this story that's going both forwards and backwards at the same time, which makes it challenging to, like, truly thread the needle and, and justify a character's actions. But uh, this, at least, I think got us a little closer to that. I think there's two separate things to talk about here. One is that, like, there's this, I thought the thing that was, like, emotionally affecting in the moment, even without knowledge of what did Peter do, is that he sees it as his responsibility to keep Norman from becoming Green Goblin again, right? And he says it's out of a love for Gwen. And to me, that's completely in character, that he would align himself with this guy and take up a responsibility of preventing him from ever going down that path again because of the memory of Gwen in his mind. And, like, if that was the only reason, personally, I would be 100% on board. Like that makes sense to me as something that Peter would do, would take this upon himself. Um, just as I think he did, you know, back in the sixties and seventies where he was making sure that Norman wouldn't relapse into his goblin persona and didn't completely throw the guy under the bus, right? Like he could have taken him to the cops at any moment or a mental institution. And maybe he should have, right? Like maybe that would have been the more responsible thing. But at the time, you know, he's a young kid and didn't really know what he was getting to. And here I feel like he can have a stronger grasp given the still murkiness of whatever the Sin Eater did. So like on that alone, I, I feel like I would buy into this relationship Would that. Do you think that would work for you or do you need that little bit more of whatever Peter and Norman did together? I, I think for now it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, you know, but like, let's, let's see how much, further we push things without giving us more i guess that's what it boils down to you know what i mean like you know if they start having like bro hugs and stuff and we're we're still at kind of this point in in the narrative i mean it's been an uneasy alliance from the get-go but like the fact that there's an alliance at all was questionable and i feel like this issue at least kind of pushed us closer to that being acceptable so you know it, it, it just kind of it's, you know, the sliding scale, like keep everything, keep everything aligned here and we'll be OK. But like if we start like really pushing like the, uh, you know, like I said, the friendship or, you know, like, a, you know, something deeper than just, you know, Peter, Peter doing something because he feels this is the right thing to do. Um, you know, I, I, I also feel like, you know, like, I don't know, this is this is a, <laughs> this is a, a sequential art medium. And, you know, like sometimes things are just not going to make sense until they're fully fleshed out. Like, you know, so like th but that's me kind of just arguing with like, you know, random anonymous Twitter people who keep fighting about this stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, well, but, well, that's 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 the thing is like and I don't want this podcast to become a response to Spider-Man Twitter although it's kind of partially the reason you and I started this show, which is to say like not everybody has a really unhealthy relationship with the character. I could like to characterize our, our relationship with, with ship with him is I, I would agree. Unhealthy, yeah. <laughs> despite spending as much time as we do on it. If you were just to go on Twitter, you wouldn't understand that it was an uneasy alliance between him and Norman. Like for me, like this rationale makes sense why Peter would strike up an uneasy alliance. Now, the second part is that there is some thing we did not see where Peter was out of options because someone close to him, a female close to him died. I think it's obviously we're supposed to think it's MJ. I would assume it's MJ, although they're being cagey about it. So, it, you know, it's not safe to assume anything. 
you know, and there's some other pieces we could put together, like the Human Torch in, in issue one, I believe, suggested that Peter stole something from the Fantastic Four. You know, like like uh, so the pieces are coming together. Like we had this mysterious Willow the Wisp figure that appeared outside of MJ and Peter's, you know, room. Ultimately, this leads to, I assume, MJ dying and Peter and Norman using something from the FF, like maybe the Forever Gate to bring MJ back or like a version of MJ back. Right. Because now Peter suggested didn't go the way they wanted, but it ended up saving her. And so who's in a situation that's less than ideal for Peter? It's MJ because she's with Paul and these kids and whatever the mystery is there. So like. For me, at least, this was a huge clue to unlocking whatever this is. And there's a lot of interesting things that result from that. Like in the previous issue, Peter didn't really seem to understand the situation that MJ is in. Right. He thinks that she's in love with Paul and she does not like quantify that other than saying she's in it because of a responsibility. So there's a lot of wrinkles that are left to be solved, but the stakes are clear, right? Like whatever happened, Peter lost a loved one. Maybe it's Aunt May again, which would be weird for them to double down on that. But, I mean, um, you know, like we, when was the last time we had a May story that <laughs> she almost died? <laughs> important stuff. Did you, know? did you read this? I, did you read this and like think he was referring to one more day? No, no. I mean, I, I, I know I made that, that joke in the synopsis, but I mean, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I assumed it was something with MJ, frankly. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm like, I'm still eager to see what it is, but I feel like at least I know the stakes now, like for what Peter did. I wonder if like this was ultimately arrived at as the way to tell the story if it truly is about killing MJ and they did like a, like a, like a, like a wins loss category, which is if we start a new run and kill MJ, how angry are people going to be versus if we have him not with MJ and later reveal that he did it to bring her back from the dead? Like I could see them weighing that choice before we put a close on this topic. You know, Gwen has to make a choice. This, this, celestial version of Gwen, whether he's worthy or not worthy. Um, I'm curious if you had any opinion on that, whether you thought it was going to end up one way or the other. And I'm curious about like how you feel about the ultimate reason that he was deemed worthy uh, and your reaction to that. I'm a Spider-Man guy. So I, I was like, like to me, like, of course, Peter was going to be worthy. I mean, like his, 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 his motivations always seem to be true in some way. You know what I mean? Like he, he, he doesn't, you know, like that's, that's who he is as a character. So I wasn't expecting, you know, I felt like we got the psych out a little bit with when Gwen, you know, when Norman shows up and Gwen kind of like takes off. But I mean, I, I, I thought it was a very, it was very nicely done. I mean, like, you know, the way, the way she spoke to him and kind of, you know, it was, as as Alan and I have been alluding to, I mean, this is a very dark period for Peter, but not dark like Frank Miller, Batman dark, but just like like this is some rough, heady stuff for a Peter Parker story that we've been dealing with the last few months. So to kind of have 
the celestial Gwen basically say to him, like, no, your heart is full. You're all right. You're going to, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know. I felt it was a little bit of reassurance to the readers who are following along and like, oh, man, how, how far is Peter from his path right now? And it's, you know, this was kind of the reassurance like, no, no, he's he's still who he is. He's still Peter. You know, we're being maybe even a little on the nose about it. But like, I think we kind of needed that right now, given where things are at. So I, 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 I thought this was well executed. Her response was my favorite part of the issue where she described, as you said, his heart is full. But the she continues by saying the heart was also open and alive. I see it shine so brightly it blinds you and baffles the mind of man. And like, I think it's a really great description of Peter when he's written, I think, well, which is to say, you know, he's full hearted. But he's also open and alive, meaning it's open to change. He's open to taking new things into his heart um, and engaging with the world around him. But then the second half is really interesting, too. It, it, it shines so brightly, it blinds you, which is to say, like, his heart is so good that it gets him into trouble. I feel personally like I felt touched by that because I often feel that way in, in my life that I kind of approach most people with a full heart. And let them kind of like, I, I feel like I've been used before in the past because of my open heart um, and my lack of cynicism about people. But I really don't know any other way to approach the world because I like to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's where we find Peter with Norman here. And I think we all probably assume it's going to come back and bite him ultimately in the end. Um, but that's how he operates. And the the second the last part is that it baffles the mind of man. I think you're seeing Twitter react to this, which is like, why would Peter do this? Why would he act this way? And my response to that is because it's Peter Parker. Like he's a good person. Of course he would act this way. And you might be upset about it, but that's why he's a hero, right? Like he is willing to get hurt so long as he stands on principles. And uh, that's what I love about this run is I think it understands that about Peter Parker. You're spot on. I, I, <laughs> I don't know if I have anything to elaborate on. But, yeah, I mean, like that. this is that is who Peter is, you know, like he, he, he it's not it's never easy. It's never black and white. It's very complex. There's shades of gray. And, you know, that is what we got here. So, you know, well, 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 well done, Zeb Wells. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, honestly, I, I think like writing like that is really hard and being that specific. And I just thought it was really beautiful. And um, I really have been appreciating that about this run. Why don't you tell some of our listeners where they can engage in conversations like this uh, amongst themselves and, you know, including us uh, in our Slack. Yeah, well, hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join. And you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Mark, um, one of my favorite things about the Slack is uh, we just added a new channel this past uh, week or so. It's called the Comic Swap Channel. Um, you know, this was actually recommended to me by our community that I add this because we had had a collecting channel before, but not one dedicated specifically to like helping people find holes in their collection or 
um, you know, trade comics between each other. And already it's become very active. Um, now, this is not related to the Comic Swap channel, but one of our um, our slackers, uh, Sp- Spider Mick or Spider Mike, he um, got a copy of Amazing Fantasy 15 this week and, and you know, documented the whole process in our collecting channel. But you never know, like the comic swap, we've already had people exchanging like, hey, I'm missing these things and other people saying, I was looking to get rid of these. So like, if you're looking to upgrade copies of, you know, comics you have, like you never know who is got what, especially among such a like concentrated community of like 400 Spider-Man fans. So um, if that sounds like fun to you and you're someone that's looking to kind of play around with your collection, come join our Slack and hop into the comic swap channel. Um, It's an awesome place to chat with other Spider-Man nerds and uh, just positive people that aren't reflective of what Mark and I talk about the Twitter community being. So you, you can find a link to the Slack in our every episode description or just by going to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and, and, and seeing a link there. Um, and come on in and say hi. Don't be one of these people that ghosts their way into the Slack and never says hello. So, um, uh, you know, Mark is, is taking up presence in the Slack and we're happy to have him there too. So um, the Slack, it's just a good time all around. Definitely. And like, you know, look, I got this like first appearance of like the Red Goblin. If you want to swap it for Amazing Fantasy 15, let's 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 make it happen, guys. OK, so and it- I fair trade, fair trade. I've got a few of those, Mark. I got a few of those. So if you're sitting on extra AF-15s like, you know, the Comic Swap channel, in fact, don't even go to the Comic Swap channel. Just privately direct message me. Uh, in the Slack, and that'll be fine too. Like that's about as good as the Comic Swap channel. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to our issue here. You want to talk a little bit about the art in this one, Dan? Yeah, I, I think the art in in this, you know, this is Nick Dragata and and Marcio Menez. And look, Marcio Menez, a champ. This dude is holding this run together. Like, if there's any kind of consistency across the art board, obviously we love Joe Caramagna. But uh, Marcia Menez's colors, I've, I've fleshed out everything he touches. But it's really hard to look at Nick Dragata's pencils and not desperately wish John Romita Jr. drew this issue. And that's not to say the pencils are bad. Like, I don't love them on in a lot of instances. Like, there is some ugly Norman Osborn here that I think actually damages the storytelling. And we'll talk about We'll talk about that later, I think, in more detail. You know, this is like an issue that JRJR, I think, was born to draw. And you just wish they could have waited a few more weeks and made that possible. Uh, Mark, do you have any feelings about the art here? I mean, I, I alluded to it in you know earlier in the show. I mean, I agree with you 100%. I mean, like, I, I would have loved to have seen Ramita kind of take his, take his hand at something like this. I, I mean, you know, I guess... For the most part, what Dragata did was fine, but like I, I don't know. There was nothing really, from a visual standpoint, memorable going on here. And you know, if anything, like you alluded to, maybe some things that were a little questionable from a visual standpoint. Um, I mean, it wasn't like anything was unsightly, but it, it just, it just, you know, it, it didn't really work for me. And there wasn't much, like you know, like we had some really big emotional moments here that I, I just don't feel he was able to really capture i mean you know uh I, I, at the same token like in a, in a medium like this like 
as good as Wells's writing could be like, you know, without the art, could it really bring it home? And, you know, it makes you think like, well, maybe not. But I don't know. It's one of those scenarios where we've seen really great art and kind of, you know, those subtle, quieter character moments done well in this run. So like the fact that we we just didn't get the same quality here is a little bit of of a disappointment for me. Yeah, and I've seen Dragata just do better stuff in general, you know, in in his career with Marvel and and elsewhere. The thing about it is, I think this issue works when it's forced to be subtle, you know, like the the stuff with like stone-faced Gwen. I found all of her stuff really effective. The kind of like images of her with the celestial Kirby crackle coming out of her head. Like those were some interesting images, the quiet moment on the rooftop waiting for Ben to show up and the little spider bot, like reluctantly crawling up onto Peter's back. And I thought the, the moments where it needed to be over the top worked too, because I found so much of the work here, not subtle, but I liked his, you know, Jameson just because Jameson is so big. It, it matched but when you've got Peter's eyes the size of like, um, like you know, dinners, you know, saucers. Yeah, right. Exactly. Someone like J.R.J.R. would have handled the Gwen return really subtly. And here it was taking like a big moment and doing it even bigger than I think it needed to be. You know, I even think back to Stuart Eminen's, you know, return. I think I believe it was Stuart Eminen with the return of Gwen in Clone Conspiracy. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was Bagley. Um, uh, I just remember that. No, scene. It, was, it was Ron Friends who did the Gwen stuff. Remember? Well, well he the, did the back. He did the, the backup Gwen the flashback. Stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Yeah, but um, either way, like I just thought, like this had a real moment to be an emotionally powerful moment, and it just didn't. I know some people cried reading this, and it just didn't get me to that level because I thought the art kind of overdid it. It didn't need to go so big. Like having Japanese anime t- levels of tears pouring out of his eyes, you know, it, it, it rendered my reaction to it a little mute. So speaking of which the return of Gwen Stacy, I thought a beautiful moment, but I have to admit, like I was kind of waiting for her to say something a little more profound, given that we had this moment just like five years ago, maybe it was longer ago than that, where I thought like, we kind of had a similar conversation and I have to admit I'm growing a little bit exhausted of Gwen only ever being used or being really rendered as a caricature of like, you know, like guilt weighing on Peter or absolving Peter's guilt and nothing in between, you know, like that's it. She just exists as this cosmic judge, which she literally is in this issue. So it works. But it is exhausting in its entirety that she only ever appears in the clothes she died in and she's only useful as a object of guilt. How did, how did this scene work for you? I mean, are you saying that, you know, anyone who uses her this way should be thrown in jail, Dan? Or is that just not? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm, uh, Mark, okay. do you want to explain? explain no, it's a Twitter reference, people. That's all. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it needs further context. Yes, I agree 100% in the fact that, like, I, it was unexpected when we got this moment. Like I, 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 like legitimately, I was like, "Oh wow, we're going there!" And then they did it, and I was like, "Oh, I don't know how necessary it really ended up being, given what they did with it." It is the year twenty twenty two. We have a we have Spider 
Gwen, Spider-Woman, Gwen Stacy in this universe, I don't know if we really need to be doing this with Gwen anymore. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like, I'm with you. I, I, I just don't know what else we can, we what, what terrain we can do here where, you know, outside of like, like you said, it's just, it's about Peter's guilt. It's about Peter's shame. Uh, Peter's failure. Those three are the those are the the core elements of what Gwen Stacy is. Except for the fact that, like you know, we've we've been able to introduce new elements of Gwen in other you know in terms of from other universes or whatever that maybe can can kind of move past this, and yet we still kind of seem stuck in this in like the six one six storytelling. So I you know like I'm kind of over it. I think that's the bottom line. Yeah, I, it just doesn't have the effect of like the happy birthday from issue 500, the return of, of Uncle Ben for a moment, um, mainly because, well, it's weird because Uncle Ben is not as fully fleshed out of a character as Gwen, but maybe, maybe that lends that kind of storytelling to be more okay, given that Uncle Ben never really got much characterization or the characterization he has gotten over the years of you and I used to joke at the end of our show is so scattershot that Uncle Ben is the everybody or he is the every spectacular white man that ever existed. But he's the father everyone wishes they had um, in, in every conceivable instance. So maybe that shallow characterization does allow for this. But like I know that Gwen had more to her than just being this figure. And I also don't think the comic needed to go as far as bringing her back to life in that it already had this literalization of the theme of the guilt of Gwen that to, to then like bring her back and have it be this confused, like Peter, you're older, uh, was in a weird way, creepy to watch her die again in essence or return to the afterlife, like as weird ramifications, like her soul was plucked from the, the netherworld. Um, maybe I'm thinking about it too much and I'm definitely thinking about it. Too much. Speaking of overthinking, do we want to talk a little bit about Norman here? Because I mean, you know, we we, we obviously talked earlier about the the Peter Norman dynamics, but what about Norman himself here? I mean, like, it's funny. Like, I know you have some strong opinions about how he's rendered here. I mean, I I my takeaway was like, wow, he really looks like Harry. <laughs> Every time I saw him, here, I was like, did did like they get like the wrong? Cri-? I mean, I know that Norman and Harry obviously look similar, but like this just this kind of took it like. Like he he looked younger, you know what I mean? Like that was it. Like he didn't look like like old Norman here. So I don't know. But what 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 was your takeaway with with how Norman was depicted here? Well, I just like nothing about how Dragata rendered Norman in this comic. Like I think if there's a weakness in his pencils, it always showed up on Norman. Like there's an image of Norman on the last page, which like is like chicken scratch, twisted, weird. Like I don't even know how to else to describe it like I, I i if i was the editor i'd be like hey give this one another shot the only positive i can say about his norman is that his tootsie roll rows were in the right direction as opposed to jrjrs which are now like somehow turned uh, if you really want to apply logic to the norman uh hair i, I actually think the depiction of how dragota rendered norman is actually problematic storyline wise because we are in this kind of nether realm where the story wants us to ask the questions of is Norman faking this and he's actually evil and he's putting on a face to twist Peter a little bit or is he good? And uh, I think based on the like my read of the cell phone crush scene 
from a few issues back is that Norman is good, but he's keeping demons at bay. And he like takes it out on that phone because, you know, like it, it it's like a stress ball. Like he, he you know, it, it it's there and it's threatening to come up. And that's what Peter is watching for. And I think that's the richer story, right? Like we've all seen Norman lie to Peter. I'm fine. You know, blah, blah, blah. Like uh, we can be buddies, you know, even, even in the movie, right? Like we, we have like right before his death, Willem Dafoe's Norman's like, Peter, you, you know, you can trust me, you know, and like Godspeed Spider-Man, you know, like that whole twist. We've seen that a million times. This, this potential is so much richer but to see like the way he drew him here, he just looked evil the whole time. And like whether Dragada was not given the notes that like this is a different Norman as JRJR has been rendering him like full of empathy and things like that. Um, it like and then th- like combining that with like a red eyed evil looking Gwen judging him at the end. It just made me think the opposite, which is that Norman is actually evil you know, based on his reaction to seeing a living Gwen and being judged by Gwen. And I just really hope that's not the case. And I have to kind of like think that this is just like, like a poor art rendering of Norman. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't, I don't think we're, we're, well, I, I, I agree that the art could have led us in that direction. I'm with you. And that I feel that Norman is trying here. I think like the, the, the whole, the whole run rests on the idea is is norman trying and i think the answer is yes so um yeah this was this was not great (laughs) Um, (laughs) but but you know like it's it's probably one of the few things that really didn't work here in this story in my opinion all right so we're at the end of uh the issue so mark let's give it a grade you want to give it a grade yeah, I mean, it, this is a solid B plus to me. Um, you know, I, I I don't know if it has enough to move it into into the A range, but like, I really enjoyed this. This was a good comic, and like I said, I feel like this is something like years from now we can, you know, it'll it'll be one of those kind of like check in Peter centric stories that we'll go back to and be like, okay, yeah, that was good. That was a good read. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think this is a B plus book that could have very easily been an A book. I think with like better art. Um, but like, especially in terms of tie-ins, I would say this is like S class tie-in. Like I can't think of really too many like top tier tie-ins like this. Like the last one I think I really enjoyed close to this level is the civil war two tie-in, um, with robot master. But I think this is better than that even. So yeah, I mean like, like I, I just think that the comparison is so wildly different to the last issue that this was like, I went into this apprehensive and came out of it. Like very glad we did it. Like what a great opportunity for a story here. Right. Right. Well, now we have to get through dark web, but, uh, but before Uh, that, Mark, we've got a hobgoblin story, which like every day that goes by, I'm tortured that I'm not reading this hobgoblin story right now. If people want to, I don't know, hear more about hobgoblin now i don't this is a terrible transition dan tell us about the patreon yeah of course um if you do find mark and my show entertaining and valuable we would love it if you would support us that takes the form of recommending the show to a friend 
Um, and if you're able, you know, become a member on our Patreon. Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. Uh, we are constantly making exclusive content for our members. Yeah, and that has grown. I've been doing these Twitter space conversations that have been really awesome with all of our listeners, and I think have really added a lot of value to the Patreon. But I want to kind of double down and say, like, look, it's $3.99 a month. That's the price of a new comic, uh, like once per month, right? If there's a comic that you enjoy less than listening to our show, like, I'm not asking you to consider dropping it, but, like, consider this a part of your you know, life, like you enjoyed this show and part of the habit of listening to Mark and I, it means a lot. And when Mark says something like we owe the show success to you and we can only bring you this content with your support, it's true. Like I'm a new father of a newborn child. Mark has had a child for a long time. So he suffered through this growth when we first started the show. Um, but I've been able to offload so much of the work that I used to do to members of a growing team. We now have video editor, Alex Galucky, who we hired this week, who's going to be able to do awesome things with our YouTube and video content that I used to try to do. Um, and again, that could only happen with Patreon because I'm able to pay him. And so I, I just wanted to reiterate like, Hey, if you haven't checked out the Patreon, go check it out because I, it would mean a lot to us, especially in the state that we're in and Mark and I trying to expand things while also expanding our lives. You know, I, I think it's really valuable. If they want to go beyond $3.99, what are some of the other pluses they can get uh, for, for being a part of our Patreon? Yeah, well, Dan, if, if they contribute $10 a month, uh, they can gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background, uh, which is created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons. And on that note, I will say Nick Cagnetti's Pink Lemonade number 1 from Oni Press came out this week in comic shops everywhere. If you didn't pick up a copy, go see if you can find Pink Lemonade number one. It's my pick of the week. I love Pink Lemonade and I love Nick's art. And he also wrote this and it's a really uplifting, heartwarming uh, comic that I think everyone's going to love. And in terms of the commissions, Mark, I sent it to you this morning. After four and a half years, <laughs> I had a child. We went through a pandemic. Uh, you got two dogs. Uh, I got, you know, I think it was right after I got married. Uh, Barry Kitson has delivered the death of Gwen Stacy commission <laughs> for us. And it is awesome and heartbreaking and all of that. I wouldn't say worth the wait. <laughs> no, it was, you know, it worked the way because we had other commissions in the meantime, but it's finally here. So if you wanted that Barry Kitson commission, it's going to be coming out to uh, our uh, higher level patrons uh, real soon. So again, we don't want anybody to contribute if it's a, if you're financially strapped. But if you have like enough to spare the change for another comic book equivalent, come join our Patreon. It would mean a lot to Mark and I and help us to keep the show going. Um, you know, and if and if you can just share the show and that's your way of contributing, that would be huge too. But uh, lastly, a thank you to everybody who already makes the show possible and makes our show continue to grow in the way that it has. So um, again, I wanted to say an extra special thanks this week because I was really thinking about our Patreon contributors and what they allow me to do and what they allow us to do, um, you know, in this time in our lives. So thank you again to everybody who is contributing to the show. 
Awesome. Well, Dan, unfortunately, it's that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, our episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our video version is available on YouTube and is edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton from the Panels to Pixels YouTube channel. Mark, all the contributors to our show is now growing larger than an anniversary issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, we're slowly getting there. So again, and that's thanks to our, our patronage from our Patreon supporters. But Mark... Until the ghost of Flash Thompson returns to judge the value of this show in his absence, what's our motto? <laughs> of course. Hey, puny paca. The, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the motto is, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. You have been judged unworthy. Unworthy.